The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, we continue in our study of Joshua, and we are coming to chapter 9, and there is just so much wonderful material here. I'm going to move quickly, but last week we saw the consequences of sin. We remember that uh, Joshua had led the Israelites into the battle of Jericho. Everything went great. And you think that's the way it's going to go into the rest of the battles. And they head into Ai and not so much. They get defeated. They come back, regroup, seek the Lord, say, what's going on? They realize there is secret sin festering among the people of God. And so they deal with the sin. They root it out and they deal with it. And then God returns his powerful presence to them. And so they get victory at Ai, though it had a lot of craftiness involved in this new battle plan. And so we see... That sin had an impact on the people of God, they dealt with it, and we were encouraged as the people of God to deal with secret sin, not to let it linger and fester and have terrible consequences, but to trust Jesus alone as the one who will forgive us for our sins. Today we come to chapter 9 and we see in these verses, God continues to act faithfully with Israel, even though Israel proves to be foolish and careless by not seeking the wisdom of the Lord. They enter into a covenant with the Gibeonites because the Gibeonites had deceived them. And so what we're going to learn today is that we must be very careful to seek the wisdom of God and how to apply the word of God in this messed up world that we live in. And so we're going to ask God to help us be wise as the people of God. Lord, humble us. Make us dependent upon you. Make us a people who seek your wisdom, who walk by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit of God, so that we will know how to apply your word in the crazy, confusing, complicated situations we find ourselves in, in this world. We ask you to do this by your grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, so today, as we look at the Gibeonite deception, as it's often referred to, we're going to see two main points, our need for wisdom and our need for grace. First of all, the craftiness and the need for wisdom. Look at verse 3 in chapter 9. It says, When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, the Gibeonites, also acted craftily, And they set out as envoys. They took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended and a worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes on themselves and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him, to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Lie. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. And so what we see is the Gibeonites lived in the boundaries of the promised land. Now, Israel knew the word of God. The instructions of God was, when you go into this promised land, I want to set up a theocracy. I want God's people living in this land with God reigning and ruling and the people exclusively worshiping and obeying the Lord so that all the Gentile nations can see my glory and want to know me and come streaming in and worship me. So this was God's plan from all along. And so God said, so when you go into the land, and I've been negligent of this piece as I studied the first five books of the Bible this week, again, thinking about this lesson, I need to remind y'all that the, the laws of warfare that God 
God gave Israel included, first of all, offering peace. Offer to them. Worship our God. But then if you don't, you will be removed. You will be destroyed. You will not be living in this land because you worship false gods. And this is God's land. And so, Israel was to offer them peace. If they did not worship God, they were not to enter into covenant with these ungodly unbelievers. God's word was very clear to them. Do not enter into agreements with these unbelievers. They don't worship your God. And if you do, if you enter into agreements and treaties and covenants with them, they're going to lead your hearts astray. They're going to lead your children to worship other gods. It will be your downfall. And tragically, that's exactly what happens. But Israel knows the word of God. Do not enter into agreements with these unbelievers. The Gibeonites know the word of God. They live within the promised land. So they pretend that they live far off because Israelites could have agreements with the people far off. So they pretended that they didn't live in the promised land. They pretended that they were traveling a long journey. They put on wore out sandals. They put their wine in old, dried out, withered, worn out, patched wineskins. They put on worn out, patched clothes. They made sure they found bread that was dry and crumbly. And so they were like, they're going to check us out. They were smart. They were deceptive. They were crafty. The ESV says they were cunning, very cunning people. And so they sought to deceive Israel so that Israel would enter into covenant with them. The interesting thing to note is everyone in this scene knows the word of God. That's interesting because in Joshua 1, it seems like the key is strictly just know the word of God. Joshua 1.8. This is the word of God. Be very careful to read it, meditate it, and obey it because this is the key to success. Okay, well, in this scene, Israel knows the word of God. We can't enter into covenant with them. And we're going to see in a minute, they're trying to figure this out. Are these people really from far away? Because if they're not, we can't have covenant with them. The Gibeonites know the word of God. They know Israel can't have covenant, so they throw through this complicated deception. Everyone knows the word of God in this scene. You know, we know the word of God. God has told us the same thing he told Israel. Do not enter into covenant with unbelievers. For us, it comes very clearly in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. Some translation says, do not be in partnership with unbelievers. The idea is the same. Don't get entangled with people who don't worship your God. Don't get ensnared by people who don't share the same worship of the same God. They don't share the same values. They don't share the same priorities. They don't share anything. Why would you entangle yourself? They're going to lead you astray. God has made it clear in his word. Do not put yourself in a position where you are giving someone who does not worship God. You're giving them influence. You're embonding yourself to them. You're obligating yourself to them. Do not form partnerships with people who don't worship your God. What does this look like in our lives? As I thought about this week, I thought, well, friendships is a form of this especially for students in the early days of life. Friendships is what your life is so connected to. And so what the Lord, what the Lord has clearly said is don't give yourself to ungodly friends. 
Don't subject yourself to their influence. Don't put yourself in a position where ungodly people who don't share your God, don't share your values, don't share your priorities, will not make decisions that promote godliness in your life. Don't subject yourself to them. The word of God is clear. It comes to dating. Do not date unbelievers. Do not give your heart to them. I've taught my children that when you date someone, you're giving portions of your heart to them. Do not do that carelessly. Be wise in who you give your heart to. Because who you date is going to be someone that you marry. And the Lord has made it very clear. Do not enter into a marriage covenant with someone who does not worship your God. For surely they will lead your heart away from the Lord. I think about business. I think we need to be very wise before we enter into business partnerships with we 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 connect ourselves, we obligate ourselves to listen and submit ourselves at some level. Even 50-50 partnership, there is a mutual submission to one another in business that says, I will heed what you say. I will respect what you say. You will have influence over my life. We should be very careful before entering into business partnerships with someone who does not worship our God or share our values. So God's word is very clear on this. Israel knows. The Gibeonites know. We know the word of God says, be holy as I am holy. God is trying to establish a holy, distinct, separate people that displays his glory. And if we allow ourselves to be entangled and ensnared with unbelievers. Now, we love unbelievers. We love them. We care for them. We serve them so that they may know God. In fact, the whole point of holiness is not to sit in righteous self-righteous judgment over them. It's the opposite is to say, look, I want you to come to know this awesome God. And we witness to them. But he says, but be careful. Do not get entangled and ensnared by them such that they lead your heart astray. So in this scene, everyone knows the word of God that Israel cannot enter into covenant with people in the promised land if they have not become worshipers of God. But the problem is, we live in a messed up, crafty, cunning, complicated world. It's never that easy, is it? And here we see in verse 7 and following the challenges of applying the word of God in the real world, the men of Israel, in verse 7, said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living in our land. They're sniffing it out. You might be from here. It's how then shall we make a covenant with you, verse 8. But they said to Joshua, Oh, we are your servants. Hear the flattery. Oh, no, no, no. We are here to serve you. And Joshua said to them, Well, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because the fame of the Lord your God, for we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who were at Ashtaroth. Now, what's interesting is these Gibeonites in their deception have thought this through very well. 
Now, we already know from the text, they've heard what just happened at Joshua and I, but they're supposedly from a far land. And so when they say, why are you coming? They say, well, we've heard about what your God did, but they don't mention Joshua, the battle of Jericho and I. Instead, they mention the first two battles we learned about, about Sion and Og. And so they're, they're good at this. But notice that this is a picture of heresy, truth with a mixture of error. That's what heresy is. It's easy to see blatant lies. It's easy. But that's not usually what we face. We usually face this mixture, this confusing, this crafty, this cunning mixture of there's truth here. We've heard about your God, but it's mixed with error. But we're from far away. We heard about what God did over in Egypt. In verse 11, they continue, So our elders, after hearing what God had done, so elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and and meet them and say to them, We are your servants now, then make a covenant with us. And they said, This is our bread. Our bread was warm when we took it at the beginning of our journey. But now look, it's all dry and crumbly. We've had this a long time. And look at our wineskins. They were new when we filled them, but, but now look at them. They're torn. And look at our clothes. These were fresh clothes, but now they're, they're all worn out and our sandals are all worn out. We've been on a long journey. We don't live around here. Enter into covenant with us. It's very crafty, very cunning, very complicated. In fact, it makes me think of the serpent in the garden scene. The serpent is described as crafty, the craftiest of all the serpents slithering up and saying, hey, did God really say that? Is is that really going to hurt you? Maybe God's holding out on you. And so they eat and the picture, the whole point of the garden scene is the same as the point here. We need the wisdom of God to apply the word of God. In the garden scene, we needed to know what was God's knowledge of good and evil. Here we need to know, should they enter into covenant with these Gibeonites? The whole scene is confusing. We ourselves don't know what to think of the Gibeonites. Are they like Rahab? Rahab, who heard about God in Egypt. Exact similar, similar phrasing. We heard about God and we know what God has done. But she gave herself just pure undefiled submission and faith in throwing herself on the mercies of God. Or in, chapter, in this chapter, in verse 1 and 2, the nations hear about God. And it says in verse 2 that they gather together themselves in one accord to fight with Joshua, with Israel. And so you've got Rahab's response of pure faith, and you've got the nation's response of of we're going to fight God. And somewhere in the middle of this gray area, you've got the Gibeonites saying, we've heard about your God, but we don't know. Are they sincere? Are they misguided? Do they want to worship God? And they just foolishly try to cut this deal instead of doing what Rahab did and just throwing themselves on the mercies of God. They're certainly not doing what the the nations surrounding them do. They're not fighting. And so what do we think? And that's the whole idea of the text. It's it's confusing. It's very murky. It's, It's hard to know. And that's the whole point. They need God's wisdom. They need insight. The problem here is not that they don't know the word of God. Everyone knows the word of God. You can't enter into covenant with people in the land. But the problem is, 
how do we apply the Word of God in this messed up situation that's complicated and convoluted? Are the Gibeonites really from far away? Are the Gibeonites wanting to worship God like Rahab? Should Israel enter into a covenant with them? Clearly, Joshua and the elders need God's wisdom. We need God's wisdom all the time. So what do the leaders do? Look at verse 14 and 15. The murky language gets crystal clear. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them. He made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. So in all the murkiness, this one crystal clear comment from the narrator, they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. Bam! Point of the passage. All this in spite of what the Lord had already told them. If you read the Bibles up to this part of the story from Genesis to Joshua, you see over and over and over, God pulls Moses and says, Hey, Moses, get Joshua in here. And he says, Listen, tell Joshua when he takes them into the land, don't enter covenants, do this, don't do that. But whatever you do, he tells them two things. In Deuteronomy 18, listen to the prophets that I send you who will speak the word of God and give you my guidance. Be sure you listen to the prophets. Be sure you read the Bible. And then in Numbers 27, be sure you go to the priest and ask them to seek the will of God because you are leading my people and they're going to do what you say. So you better make sure, Joshua, that you are doing what I am telling you to do. But they did not seek the counsel of the Lord. I'm sure they carefully examined their wine bottles. They carefully checked out their sandals. They circled around and looked at their clothes. They took the bread and crumbled it and tasted it and smelled it and looked at it. And they thought about it and they discussed it and they huddled up. What do you think we should do? And they investigated it, they used reason, they used logic, they checked their gut reaction, and they they talked about it, they thought about it, they investigated it, they put their scientific senses into... They did everything at their disposal to figure out, what do we do in this situation? But they did not ask God. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 1 says, Woe to those who make alliances, but not of my spirit. We need to understand that Satan is cunning and crafty. And this world is built on ungodly values and priorities. And we are right in the middle of it. And God's called us to know his word and apply his word in the midst of all this complicated, confusing situation that we live in. For example... A young lady is committed to not dating an unbeliever. And then the boy starts knocking on the door. And as Googe has told me, they ain't coming to your house to hang out with you, Tracy. (laughs) Oh, it's good to know. 
I thought they wanted to be my friend. Seems like a nice guy. Says he goes to church. What do you do? You smell him. You look at them. And you look at their life. And you look at their parents. And you ask them questions. And you consider their answers. And you listen to their language. And you watch their values. And you measure their character. And I got a hundred more things. You use all the resources God has given you. Use your brain. Use your gut. Use your senses. And you think about it. But you must do the most important thing. You ask God. Maybe you've got a business opportunity. You studied your tail off and you've gone to college and you've been working and you've been working. You've been waiting for your chance. You've been waiting for your opportunity. And you've done the performance. You've done the business plan. You've measured risk and reward. You've done the math. You've looked at the balance sheets. You've looked at income statements. And you consider the partnership that would be formed around this business opportunity. You do all that you need to do, but you better do one thing for sure. Ask the Lord. Maybe you're thinking about getting married. Ask the Lord. Maybe your friend group that you have grown up with from when you were little starts changing and people are making different choices and it's hard and it's tormenting and it's brutal on your heart because you love them, but you're having to make some tough choices. Who will I continue to give influence in my life? You think about it, you discuss it with your parents, you make all the logical decisions you can, but ultimately you pray about it and you ask the Lord because the Lord just may surprise you. It may make perfect business sense. It may make, you may have found nothing to worry about. You seek the Lord. The Lord might just reveal something to you and protect you from some serious struggles in your life. Or the Lord may just say, yeah, go for it. And you have the great freedom to go for it. What we need to understand is God loves to give us his wisdom. God loves to give us his discernment. He's not some God sitting back here. Well, I told you to read my Bible and figure it out. In James 1, it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, wisdom is how to apply the word of God in these situations. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without finding fault. It will be given to him. Paul constantly prayed for believers, followers of Christ. He's prayed that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1, 9 and 10. In Philippians 1, 9, Paul prays that believers, that their love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. As believers, we must constantly be praying and seeking the counsel of the Lord, asking Him for wisdom and discernment on how to apply the Word of God in the complicated situations that we face. 
We must not be arrogant and presumptive upon the Lord. We must ask the Lord, help me, guide me, direct me. May I honor you with my life. Having considered our need for wisdom, our need to pray and seek the Lord, I think we can all stop and probably think right now, man, have I messed it up. I bet a lot of us are in partnerships and relationships and friendships that we sitting here going, yeah, I might have acted a little careless. So not only do we see in this text the need for the wisdom of God, but man, don't we need the grace of God. So in the next section, we're looking at carelessness. And the need for grace. Look at verse 16. They entered carelessly into this agreement without seeking the Lord. Verse 16 says, It came about at the end of three days after they made the covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. You ever been there? You wrestle You think about it. You do all you can to figure it out. And as soon as you make that decision, all right, let's do it. It's like, no, that was the wrong decision. I know I've certainly been there. That's why they say hindsight is 20-20. It's so murky and so confusing. And then as soon as you do it, as soon as you realize you messed up, it's like, man, it's crystal clear now. Sure wish I had that clarity. Why did I act so carelessly? Why did I not seek the Lord's wisdom? I remember this little example when I was graduated from college, Louisiana Tech University, got my accounting degree. I had my job sewed up. I was going to Arthur Anderson in Houston, Texas. I was so excited. It was a great honor to work for them. Now they are corrupt and gone. And it was not my fault. And I remember graduating in May, but not starting until my job until September. And so I rushed out because I was going to be big time, making so much money. And I was like, yeah, I got my first car, brand spanking new black, shiny Mitsubishi Eclipse. What? (laughs) I know, don't covet. I know. I don't want you to compare yourself to me. You'll get discouraged. So... I'm laying in bed that night. I go to bed. I fall asleep. 2.30 in the morning, I wake up in a cold sweat. And I sit up and I'm like, please tell me that was just a dream. I didn't really just buy a car and get in debt. And I run outside. I look at the window. I said, oh, no, it's real. (laughs) I had put that burden of debt on myself. And I was coming to the realization, I got to pay that note. And I don't have a job till September. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, why have I gotten myself into this mess? I want you to hear me. God has a wonderful plan for the rest of your life. Many times I've been in counseling situations, discipleship situations, and someone is living with the regret of past decisions and they feel What do I do now? How do I get out of this situation? 
In verse 17 and following, we see the consequences of carelessness, and we know what that feels like. In verse 17, the sons of Israel set out. They came to the cities on the third day, going to see the Gibeonites, when they figured out what happened. Now their cities were Gibeon, were all these different cities, and they, the sons of Israel, in verse 18, the sons of Israel did not strike the Gibeonites because the leaders of the congregation had swore them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders said to the congregation, We've sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. This we will do to them. Let them live so the wrath of God will not be upon us because of the oath that we've taken. But the leaders said, Let them live. And so they became hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation. So in this text, we see the consequences of carelessly entering into covenant with unbelievers without seeking the wisdom of the Lord. The leaders are filled with grief when they realize their mistake. The leaders are unable to fulfill their obligations. They can't clear them out of the land because now that would be sin because the word of God says, honor your oaths. And so for them now to obey the Lord would be to disobey the Lord. And so they can't remove them from the land. And so now they're in danger of being intertwined and ensnared by these unbelievers. So they're discouraged by their own error. They can't fulfill the obligation, the ideal in which they had been called to do. And finally, the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. That is not fun. When the whole congregation is grumbling against the leaders. I speak from prior experiences, other churches. Israel's between a rock and a hard place. They've messed up. They've made bad decisions. They've entered. They sinned to get into this covenant, and they can't sin to break the covenant. And they're wrought with guilt and despair, thinking, ah, what have we done? We all can relate to this. What consequences are you facing now? You know them because of a careless decision you've made to enter into relationship with unbelievers and the consequences have piled up. Thankfully, in verse 22, we see the grace of God. Grace, grace, grace. I used to have a seminary professor. When we turned in our tests, he just read this every time. Remember, grace abounds. Thank God for the grace. Verse 22 and following, we see the grace of God. It takes a little explaining to see it, but listen to what they says in the following verses. Joshua called for them. He spoke to them saying, Why have you deceived us? Saying that we are very far from you when you live right here within our land. Now therefore you are cursed and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. That's a key phrase. Verse 24, So they answered Joshua and said, Well, because it was... Certainly told your servant that Lord told Moses to give you all the land and destroy the inhabitants of the land. They're basically saying because we didn't want to die. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives. Verse 25, now behold, we are in your hands. Now listen to how these words sound a lot like Rahab. Now we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. This he did to them and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel. They did not kill them. But Joshua made them hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he chooses. Now, 
It's challenging to see, but let me help you see the grace of God throughout this. First of all, in verse 23, Joshua curses the Canaanites to be servants. Now, this is fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 25, after the flood, Noah came out of the ark, worshipped God, and sinned. He got drunk, and something went down. We don't know exactly what happened, but his son Ham acted in in an indecent way. And so Noah said to him, "Your your son Canaan will be cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And here we see the fulfillment of that. So what does that tell us? Where's the grace in that? It tells you, first of all, God knew exactly what was going on. God knew all this was going to happen. God is sovereign and God is faithful even over our mess-ups. But also in verse 23, part B, Joshua turns the curse of Canaan into a blessing. And that's what God does. Listen to what he says. Instead of just saying, you'll be servants just like Noah said you would be, he says, you'll be servants in the house of my God. John Selhammer points out that the Hebrew word for servant is the same word for, for worshiper. And so the curse of Canaan becomes the blessing of Canaan. God makes them part of Israel, worshipers of God. I believe they were converted. Listen to verse 25. The language sounds so similar. Now behold to Rahab. We are in your hands. Do as seems good and right in your sight. This is what the Canaanites said. Thus he did to them. He delivered them. That's the language of salvation. He delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel. They did not kill them. So it appears to me these crafty, conniving, sneaky little Gibeonites became worshipers of God Despite all their failures, they were incorporated for the people of God. They served in the temple worship of God. So when we put all this together, we see a beautiful picture of the sovereign grace of God who is working to fulfill his plans. Who are these Gibeonites? They're Gentiles. And what's happening? They're becoming a part of the people of God, worshipers of God. What is that? That is God honoring his covenant promises to Abraham. He said, I will make you my people who will reach the Gentiles and make them worshipers. And how is it coming about? Through the faithless, careless, stupid decisions of Israel and the conniving of the Gibeonites. And God is gracious, gracious, gracious. As we sit and think about where we are and we think, oh, my stomach hurts because I have made some bad decisions. I am in relationships right now that do not do anything but wreak havoc in my life. I want you to know this. God is gracious. In fact, the whole father of Israel, the namesake is Jacob and his name was changed to Israel, Jacob's name meant deceiver. Jacob, let me choose him to start this people. He stole his birthright. He stole his blessing. He stole cattle from his uncle. He's a deceiver. Everything about his life was deception, deception, deception. Unnecessarily, because God already said, I'm going to do all this. 
But he couldn't sit and wait and obey and trust the Lord and, and seek his wisdom and apply. He had to go deceive everywhere. It was deception. And yet God wrestled with him and touched him and said, you will be Israel. The whole story of the Bible, we turn these guys into spiritual giants. And God over and over chooses the weakest, foolish ones to shame the wise. Because he's gracious. God's not gracious to you because you do it right. God's not gracious to you because you make great decisions. God's gracious to you because he's gracious. And when we experience his grace, we always have a future. From that day forward, from this day forward, may we seek God's wisdom. May we not be careless. May we not carelessly give anyone influence in our lives without doing all that we can to figure and think and make a good decision. And the most important thing is ask God, how do I apply your word in this circumstance? And shut up and listen. God's sovereign grace always gives us hope for the future. God is in the business of overcoming our careless messes. The greatest picture of grace in this scene is seen from the overarching story. Knowing the rest of the story, Joshua is not Jesus. Joshua fails. The people fail. They do get entangled with unbelievers. They get kicked out of the land because there's just all kinds of sin going on in the land. And it all points to story after story to trust Jesus because Jesus is the word of God, the wisdom of God. He is God. He gives us the spirit of God. And he says, walk by my spirit. Let me lead you all the way. Know the word of God and I will guide you every step of the way. And with my blood, Jesus says, I will cover all your failures. But I'll make sure you get to your destination. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we praise you that you are a God of grace. That you overcome, that you are well aware of our failures and our carelessness and our lack of of obedience. Lord, I pray that we will see your grace and we will receive forgiveness for our lack of faith, our lack of obedience, that we will receive forgiveness based solely on the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ and not our own. And I pray, Lord, that from this day forward, we will commit as a people to be a people who seeks to know your word and seeks you through prayer, through dependence, ask you, how do we apply your word in these situations, especially as it relates to relationships, business, friendships, marriage, church membership and all these things Lord may we have a humble dependent prayerful attitude as we study to know your word may we also pray and seek your wisdom and your discernment that we may walk in accordance to your ways and Lord for those of us who find ourselves in situations 
that are not pleasing. We've, we've submitted ourselves to ungodly influences, Lord. For those situations that we can prayerfully discern your will to get out of them, Lord, guide us, direct us how to move ourselves to places of holiness. But in those rock and hard place situations where it would be sin to get out of those situations. May we trust that you are gracious. That all is not lost. That you have a great plan for our lives. That there is a reason that we find ourselves in that situation. And it is for great good. That we would from this day forward walk in faith. Not in carelessness. But seeking your wisdom and your discernment. Each and every day. And watch you do great things by your grace. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.